UCB Life Issues with Paul Hammond. And a very warm welcome to this week's Life Issues. Sometimes people ask me, how do you prepare for a Life Issues conversation? Well, first of all, I've got a great producer. And we sit down and we talk about what we'd like to explore and what subjects we'd like to pick up. And then we kind of work out who we'd like to talk to about it. Then we ask the guest, well, what do they feel would be a good thing to contribute? Once that's done, I go off and find myself a quiet place somewhere and plan my intro and shape the questions and and all that sort of stuff. Except this week, it was a little bit different. Because you see, as I endeavoured to prepare my questions, I typed Steph McLeod into my music app of choice and spent far too much time being distracted by songs like Shining Light and Snake Eyes and Let There Be Light. I'll be honest with you, I was smitten by the music of Steph from the first chord and the first word of Love Changes Everything many years ago. The raw intensity of his music, the authentic, pure quality of his lyrics swept me away which is part of the reason that he gets played quite a lot on UCB1. And if you want a Christmas treat, well, he used to play with a band called Celtic Worship, and their version of Oh Holy Night is stunning. So when we were looking to follow up last week's Life Issues about Christmas as a time to let the light in, it was perhaps inevitable that my thoughts would go to Steph, not just because of Let There Be Light, the song he wrote, but also because his story is a story of the light shining into him and bringing transformation from addiction. But it's also an honest appraisal of the fact that the light that shines into us and shines around us is needed for ongoing day-to-day struggles. It doesn't just somehow all get fixed in that first moment of illumination. And also the willingness to acknowledge that the light that shines out of him can make a real difference. And let's be honest, that is a message that perhaps we all need to grasp in our struggles as we move into the new year. And I'm pleased to say that Steph joins me today to talk about his life, his story, and the light that shines. But first, what's all this Celtic worship stuff? Is there an inner Highlander in you looking to get out? Oh, possibly. <laughs> you know, um, first of all, thank you so much for your kind words as well. And uh, But I, um, my family are from the Isle of Lewis, and we have a, a croft up there, uh, which I've spent a lot of time on, uh, especially as a kid with my, my grandparents. And so I, I am every time I go up, I'm, you know, I have this this tug that says mm. I want to stay here. Mm. Um, but I seriously considered it actually at one point and, and turning the croft into a, a retreat uh, or a sustainable croft f- uh, to live with my family. But it was just a bit too disconnected for the stuff that I am. Um, Yes, I that, enjoy doing in the communities that I serve, yeah. Yeah, that little bit of water just makes all the difference, especially in the winter, doesn't it? Music's always been a big part of your life. So as we start to think about your story and your... What were the early listens for you when it came to your music? Oh, man, that is a long question to answer. And uh, my dad was a massive influence for me growing up, so I, I, I grew up listening to... 
um, Cream, Eric Clapton, uh, Steely Dan, uh, Bob Marley, uh, Jimi Hendrix, um, all all the classics. But there was just loads of stuff. Uh, Fleetwood Mac, uh, Led Zeppelin. I don't know if I've said that twice. Could we listen to a lot of Led Zeppelin? But, uh, <laughs> I, I, I remembered listening to. Um, uh, Stairway to Heaven on an old tape deck and pressing rewind to learn the guitar parts, you know what I mean? So yes, it, was a, yeah. it was old school. And a lot of guitarists in there, which of course is your instrument of choice, and um, ended up doing classical at the Scottish Academy. I did, yeah. So I, I was quite a high-maintenance kid, but when I discovered music, it kind of just focused a lot of stuff in for me and... I was taught by a wonderful teacher in Edinburgh called Mike McGeary and a few other people went to a music school, the City of Edinburgh Music School in Edinburgh and then auditioned for the Royal Scottish Academy where I, where I studied for a few years. Uh, but I mean, that's a bit of a story within itself because mm. by the time I got there, I, I was carrying some some stuff on my shoulders as well. And And that's an important part of your story and a story that you acknowledge very clearly because on the one hand you had this side of your your life where having journeyed to that point you had i suppose a whole vista of possibilities opening out in front of you by going to the academy and where that might take you the work that might take you into um but where you actually ended up was homeless dealing with addiction and absolute what most people would describe as rock bottom how how did we get there it's a long progression, you know. The, the addiction is a progressive illness, and there was a multitude of things that could have been uh, attributed to that. It was just being anxious for a lot of my childhood and not understanding what that was. It was um, my my parents splitting up, and. This might have been more of a cultural thing. Don't get me wrong, I was looked after, but the, the, we don't talk about how we're feeling in Scotland. Mm. Well, at least when I was a kid, you know, we didn't we didn't really have many emotional role models. Unless you go to the football, you're allowed to get emotional yeah, then. Yeah. Um, but but uh, and I, I was in the wrong place at the wrong time when I started experimenting with alcohol, and I nearly lost my life and just became terrified of everything. And and from that point. My uh, my drinking increased exponentially because uh, I thought that was the only way that I could cope with the way that I was feeling and the symptoms of what I would later discover was post-traumatic stress disorder. And as you went to the, the academy and as you start, you were faced with those sort of choices, was it just, was, was the pressure of that the thing that kind of pushed you in the opposite direction? No, not at all. The the the, the teachers and, and the staff at the academy were absolutely brilliant and in hindsight I I'm I'm surprised they put up with me for as long as they did because I, I, I was completely lost and I didn't know what I didn't know and I'm I'm pretty sure I was alcoholic before I went there. Mm. And um you know, being a student I don't know what it's like these days, but, you know, heavy drinking as a student, uh, as well, for an alcoholic, anyway, it's being a student's a, a perfect place to hide, um, I, I, even when I didn't know. And for me, I thought it was a fresh start. And, uh, you know, you get all this money thrown at you from the bank, which isn't really yours. And um, my priorities were all mixed up. And I did work sometimes, and they did their best to help me. But when I was unable to pass my, my academic exams, they 
you know, they said you can't continue on this course anymore. So I finished my degree elsewhere, which was which was fair enough. But they tirelessly tried to help me. They really yeah. were amazing. So how bad did it get, and how far did you fall? Yeah, homelessness is is a graft. Like you know, it's a twenty four seven job. Um, not everybody's alcoholic or struggling with addiction, especially these days. It's a, it's almost like a social class, you know, and you get people there that have just fallen on hard times. And uh, but for me, it was um, the insanity of addiction just told me that that I I needed to leave home so that I could feed my addiction in peace. And I, and I was in and out of homeless hostels. Unfortunately, when I drank, I thought people were trying to attack me, so I was quite aggressive. And they don't have they have a zero tolerance for that. So right. I spent a good yeah. bit of time. Um, on the streets or sofa surfing or just trying to survive because my addiction just consumed every aspect of my life. And it was, um, but it was the cold, the cold, uh, staying out in the cold in Edinburgh in the winter, which is very wet because it wasn't so much staying warm. It was about staying dry because you were in a lot of trouble if you got wet, you know, and after um, Christmas 2005, I realized if I didn't do something, I I, I was going to die. And, um, you know, I begged, I stole, I did things for, for money that I never imagined ever having to do. But when you're afraid, uh, fear will make you do anything, you know, and it's it's uh, it, it's all consuming. Uh, 24-7, like I said, no breaks, no holidays, and it'll cost you everything. People often wonder why those who are living rough, who are re- taking the risk of what the weather can do, but also what other people can do while you're on the streets. People say, well, why didn't you just go home? Surely you got family that cared about you. Surely there were people that you could have turned to. Surely there was somewhere you could have gone. What would your experience, what response would that give to when people talk like that? It's complicated. It's very complicated. I I think... I read somewhere that, you know, there's normally a breakdown within relationships that can lead to um, somebody declaring themselves as homeless, but there's always other factors as well. And it's usually um, quite unique to the individual. I, I, I could have gone back to my mum's or my dad's and had somewhere to stay on the on the basis that I was sober, but I, I, I just did, didn't want to do that. And that's the insanity of, mm. of the addiction. I would have rather been cold out on the streets with a bottle of whatever and have to go home and sit sober uh, and literally, you know, be in my own skin. And uh, that just terrified me. So in terms of homelessness, and I mean, it's very, very difficult to actually get somewhere to stay now if you're homeless, you know, it's it's certainly not easy staying in a homeless hostel. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of problems with, people having um, difficulties within their life and they are varied like I said some people struggle with addiction some people struggle with just maybe having lost their job and they're with their families and stuff like that so it's complex it's not as easy as well why can't you find somewhere to stay you just need to look at the the housing market just now it's crazy you said the idea of sitting at home sober in order to have a roof over your head terrified you what was it about being sober that terrified you Having to sit with myself, I think, you know, I've, uh, especially with the anxiety, alcohol and drugs are fantastic emotional painkillers until they stop working. Mm. 
and they're not a great solution either. And they, they, fundamentally, alcoholics we drink to feel differently, and I just could not bear the anxiety anymore or the emotional pain. I wasn't even sure what it was, you know. And and for when I learned when I was a, a teenager that I could feel different by putting something into my body, and um, unfortunately, when that wears off, it's like everything comes back in abundance. So mm. it was it was just this vicious cycle. And I, once I started, I just couldn't stop. Yeah. And when I did stop, I was obsessing about drinking again, which kind of d- differentiates an alcoholic to a, a regular drinker. You know? Do you think that that's something that those of us who have never been there? need to realize about addiction but especially about homeless who are addicted because there's a lot of talk isn't there about you know if you see somebody who's homeless don't give them money because they'll use it to feed their addiction but actually their addiction is what's driving their every waking moment it is a it is debatable i mean i don't tend to give to homeless people uh, financially, but I will give to homeless charities because they're well versed mm. in, in the needs and you know the addicts and alcoholics. We're clever people, man. You know we we're not we're not mental um, in terms of uh, we know what we're doing and we know how to get what we need. And people are kind, and when they see people struggling, they want to help them. And people are generally very very kind. And begging is easy money as well. It really is. So I tend now to give to homeless charities. Um, the only time I will help an alcoholic uh, is when I think that they're rattling, which is they're, they're deep, they're oh, withdrawn yeah. from alcohol. And, and, and I, you know, it usually takes an alcoholic to spot that. And it's really dangerous. So that I'll buy them a can just so they can get themselves together and maybe go and get a bit of help or whatever. But uh, that's only happened once or twice. Mm. Uh, I've got to keep myself safe as well, you know what I mean? But I, I, it's a rare thing that I give money to somebody begging in the streets because not everybody's as homeless as they seem as well, you know mm. what I mean? So it, I tend to give money to um, a charity that can put the money to good use. So you know where it's going to go. You're listening to UCB Life Issues. I'm talking this week to Steph McLeod. Steph's story is that he fell, as we've just heard, to a very dark place in his life, a place of addiction and of homelessness. But as his song, Let There Be Light, reveals, the light of God shining into a place can make all the difference. Not necessarily an easy journey, though, for that difference to come about. But there was a very real sense that one day your eyes were opened, wasn't it? Yeah, and that was very unexpected, actually. Um, I, I ended up in a homeless hostel in February 2006 run by the Bethany Christian Trust, who are a homeless charity. They gave me a place to stay. I got my appetite back and I dried out from years of drinking and it was a safe space. Uh, they had a recovery programme, which was very Jesus-focused, which, you know... I wasn't complaining really, it was just, um, it didn't kind of tick all the boxes for me at that point, but um, I went to hear a man give his testimony one night, uh, I went for the free food, because I'm, I'm an absolute foodie, uh, I think it was a, a five course dinner and I'd never experienced that before and was naturally curious, you know, so <laughs> I went for the food and then a, a chap gave his testimony and it absolutely blew my mind and changed my life. What was it? That you heard that night. What what do you remember as the the standout that changed your life? It was the message. It was the message, and I I, I spent a bit of time in the years 
prior to that trying to find this guy he's a good friend of mine now he's a guy called cammy mckenzie wonderful church minister but i thought he was going to tell me how much i needed what he had and if i didn't have it i wasn't worth anything just stereotypes and uh, I thought as a church minister, he, he hadn't known any kind of hardship and he was a goody two-shoes, blah, blah. But his life story, his testimony is, is incredible. He, he, he'd, been a, he'd been in prison, he'd been an addict as well. And, and um, he spoke about how making the decision to follow Jesus had just changed everything in his life. And there was two things. One was God gave him the strength to break the chains that were killing him and the power to walk away from that life reborn in hope which i'll be honest i'd never heard anything really like that and all i heard was freedom and hope i didn't really understand it but i heard freedom and hope and then he said there's no such thing as 50 percent free it's all or nothing mm. you can't have your foot halfway in the door so if you want to be free in christ you got to surrender and give him everything and i i had this feeling that was it was weird it was almost like um i really wanted it but i was quite scared to 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 go up when we were invited for prayer because like you know my mates were there as well you know and it was um but i wanted it and i, I did go up and um when i looked back there was quite a few of us that went up and um accepted jesus as our savior and when we prayed i'm quite a skeptical guy i've, I've got trust issues just through my experiences but i felt um i felt that something happened within me i said god if i just want a life worth living and, and if that means following you then i'm all in if you can hear me i think i said that as well if you yeah. if, you're, if you're really there you know and i felt uh, just at this incredible sense of peace wash over me which might not sound like much to somebody else, but when you've been full of anxiety and yes. dread your whole life, it just broke me. Mm. And there was this paradigm shift from suddenly thinking I was alone in the center of the universe to realizing that I wasn't. And I knew I wasn't alone anymore, which was a very, very powerful thing. And that was the start of a, a very, very awesome journey. But a long journey, and a journey which, I mean, you talk about the importance of people around you because we, we have this sense that God light, God's light shines into our lives and we, it's almost like we go, oh, well, and that was it. And suddenly I was transformed and everything was perfect. And of course, that's far from the reality for everybody because it's, it's an ongoing journey. But you, do, you talk about the, the importance of fellowship and community around you and other people allowing, if you like, the light of Jesus to shine from them, the love of Jesus to shine from them into your life. That was an important element, what, right from the start? Yes, I think uh, in, in different ways, actually. As a, as a young Christian, you, you're just hungry. You have this spiritual hunger and, you know, it wasn't long. And I, I think I, was, I went to church that Sunday and made friends and it was just I was soaking up everything I didn't even know what to do I remember I think asking my my friend who's now my wife and I said uh, how, do, how do you be a Christian what do you do <laughs> and you know she was like just listen and we used to go to Bible studies and um, I'd do that with my friend and uh, my friends as well 
And, you know, you just bring everything. So that suddenly I went from a guy that spent most of his time on his own. I was an isolator in terms of drinking and stuff like that. I didn't mm. drink uh, communally to, to suddenly having a, a church family. And it was it was just wonderful, man, uh, seeing people worship for the first time. And, and it's almost like, man, they get what I get. They, they, know, they know how I feel. And it was just all about Jesus especially the, my first pastor, Craig Sale, who was just uh, such a wonderful preacher. And um, that, that community certainly helped me to see where my path was, you know. And helped you with the, if I might, you know, small D maybe, but, but the demons that you had to face because you had struggled all your life with anxiety. You said your mental health was a, a, a real issue for you while you were homeless. That That didn't, transform overnight when you became a Christian. Now, the, you, the importance of, of people around you in those times of struggles is something that you, you, you talk freely about, but not everybody appreciates the value of what they can give to people who are going through those sorts of difficulties. It's a, it was a difficult time, actually, sort of looking in hindsight. So when I got off alcohol, I was still um, quite heavily medicated in terms of I was taking antidepressants and other other tablets. And, and uh, you know, there is a time and a place for medication. I, I, um, I think uh, medical professionals can certainly guide you in that stuff. But for me, I was it, it, it was certainly helping with... Um, post-traumatic stress I, I wasn't aware of at the time I just knew that it helped me to cope but I was quite emotionally numb uh, but I, I do think that when I when I asked Jesus to come into my life and I had this massive change in mindset of of being alone that that was a massive step forward for me and being able to integrate within the communities without feeling crippled with anxiety I was still um I was still unable to get honest about some of the things that happened when I was homeless and when I was a teenager uh, through fear of being judged. Um, but I, I mean, I did my best at the time with what I had and what I knew. Uh, and it wasn't until much later. And, and don't get me wrong, there was some great stuff that happened in my life in the mm. years that came. So, so, so I got married, I had kids, I started writing songs and was told that I had a ministry. And I started traveling and... and um, for, fundamentally for me that this um, there was some stuff buried right right down which um, I wasn't prepared to open up about to anyone and I had even though I was a lot more honest than I was I, I had this mask on that everything was fine and I, and and that um that just rotted to the point that when I was about eight years sober I, I, I just I just my mental health fell off a cliff and ended up picking up a drink you know which just smashed everything to pieces at that time you know so uh to answer your question the community that i first encountered it was an absolute lifesaver for me coming out of a place of homelessness and seeing how people were in the church and the love and the compassion that they had for me and they saw the potential in me you know they saw i think they, they shone light and they invited me into their homes and we had bible studies man i mean i never thought anybody would ever do that to me because i was a scallywag you know <laughs> but they just loved me um but further down the line um, things got tough because i wasn't able to open up about some really dark stuff and it is i suppose when you have moved forward and there is expectation around you and you have 
a ministry and you're sharing a stage with some pretty high-profile Christian artists and, and your talent is shining and, and everybody is is full. I mean, people like me are going, you're brilliant, it's brilliant, I love your music and all that sort of stuff. I suppose that makes it harder to actually shine a light onto some of those dark areas that you know still remain because if they come out, well... How are people going to react? How's life going to be? What's the community? How are they going to respond when they have these expectations of I certainly used to think like that. I, I think one of the um, unfortunate truths about the music industry is that we've, we've it, it, it tends to have this, even from the secular world, it's about networking. It's about, you know, success is, is, is based on getting a number one or how many records you sell or who you know and stuff like that and me being quite ignorant and a young Christian I just thought that's the way the Christian world worked as well and I didn't really have that many friends I had acquaintances you know and and um, at first it was just about sharing the gospel and then slipping into this okay you're getting onto this festival this could be really great and you know I could get to share with more people and the one thing I hate about being a, in music ministry is the fact that I'm involved, you know what I mean? Like having my picture taken, that I have a profile and stuff. I, I quite like my privacy and stuff like that. Mm. But I, I do, um, I take it as a one of these things because fundamentally it's about sharing the gospel for me. You know, I mean, as long as it, it, somebody was brave enough and honest enough to share their testimony with me and it changed my life, and I, if I can somehow do that, and 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 Christ can have an impact on somebody else's life, then that 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 that's what brings me life you know that's i see that as an, an amazing privilege and even music just seems to be the way that that it's happened um and after i got ill the first time and kind of reassessed and found out a lot of stuff about me um and i had some wonderful christian friends that really kind of helped to steward me and and some stuff when i opened up about my my difficulties they were like listen man don't make it about the networking or how many songs you've written or any of that kind of stuff. Just go and be yourself and make some friends. Yes, and, you yeah. know, God will take care of the rest. And it was an absolute game changer. A lovely man called Doug Ross, actually, um, he taught me all that stuff. And uh, it's all right to be ambitious and, and, and want to do the best in what you do. But I think for me, I just caught, caught up in this trajectory that was going up, you know what I mean? And, and uh, it suddenly... And, and at the time, I, I I don't think I would have been honest about it and said this is all for Jesus because I actually really enjoyed touring and and selling records and mm. all that kind of stuff. And and uh, and and once I realised how fragile I was, I was like, well, this is not what I started out to do. I just wanted to show God's love the way it was shown to me. And uh, thankfully, God put me uh, good people like Doug and and uh, on on my path that just kind of helped me to to see the the truth and the gift of what it is to share the gospel. So I was grateful for that. And that opportunity, you know, we were very much tying it around the the imagery that's in Let There Be Light. And I mean, it's a brilliant song. I love the video that goes with it as well. But the the imagery around that is is very much about letting the light shine out. And I know that that actually, as well as with your music and as well as performing, to be able to work with other groups that allow that light of your experience as you say somebody was very brave and they shared their testimony you've been given the opportunity to do the same it's a powerful testimony it's a very real it's a very honest 
testimony about the ongoing reality of what you you struggle with. But at the same time, there's an awful lot of of, of people need to hear that. So working with other organisations to let that light out is important for you. Yeah, I, I have had the privilege of serving with loads of great people um, and, the, and the work that they do. These guys are just amazing. So people like Compassion, uh, Junction 42, which is a prison ministry. Yeah. I absolutely love the stuff that they did for prisoners in the UK and lockdown was just incredible. Uh, and I and I had a, the privilege of just having a little part in that. Um, and other people, there's charities abroad like Eric Selpin um, in Sweden, which is a children's charity, the Bethany Christian Trust, uh, very close um to my heart with the stuff that they do for the homeless and also with the NHS. So I, I, um, I, I, I volunteer once a week uh, in a addiction centre, uh, which is just bring it's so life given and it's part of um, the program that I that I follow within my recovery. I, you know, just pouring love into other people seems to help me with my own self esteem, which can be pretty choppy at times you know what i mean and for me that's all biblical you know the way jesus re reached out and just loved others and, yes. and showed us how to love each other and, and the power of community and fellowship are just uh it's stuff i really took for granted and or just didn't know about and it's um it's, it's so life-giving but i i read something the that you wrote you know, about your role in this you 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 wrote something along the lines of i only provide music songs about walking with jesus and about mental health battles addiction recovery um and you, you wrote about how when people respond to you you are overwhelmed by the letters of thanks that you get and how that impacted you is it so hard for you to see how what you do is a meaningful tool that god uses Sometimes I still have to catch myself, and I think this is a personal thing. So I I, I struggle with my inner critic still to this day. Uh, I was I was listening to a, a podcast in the gym yesterday about all the different types of inner critics that, that we have, and and mine's is it's pretty fearsome, and I think it's based on my experience and and trauma and stuff like that. And but it I, I'm overwhelmed that I can be of service to somebody um, or at least carry a message uh, because when I compare the things that have happened in my life to a life of homelessness and addiction to the things that I've, I've experienced walking with Jesus, if when somebody writes to say, this is, this has made me think about my walk with Jesus. I get overwhelmed because I'm like, if God can take a man like me off the streets, and bless me with the things that I've experienced with children, with love, with friends, a family. I'm just overwhelmed that God's going to have an impact in their life. And that really excites me. Like, cause when I do my gigs and when I, when I get to share, it's not about me at all. I, I want people to believe in thinking about what their work with Jesus is like. Mm. That's what I, that, that is, that really fills me with excitement. You know what I mean? Cause I still can't believe what Christ has done in my life sometimes. And sometimes I give myself a hard time for, for certain things, but that's just, that's just stuff I'm coming through. I wouldn't change anything, man, because it, it means I wouldn't see the world the way that I do now. But uh, you know, I still, it's a, it's a daily, it's a daily thing, one day at a time, as they say. 
Uh, somebody should write a song on that basis, shouldn't they? It, it is incredible, isn't it, the way in which our, our lives kind of lead us to a point. And I know that there's a... There is that sort of idea that in order to be able to sing the blues, you've got to pay your dues. In order to be able to to give out, you have to have lived the experience and so on. And when you when you look back and you see those terrible things that you went through and the terrible struggles that you've had and the ongoing nature of, of the struggles with your mental health and, and like you say, addiction never goes away. It's wrong to to imagine that just because somebody's been dry or sober for for X number of years, that's the problems have all gone. But when you look back, are you actually able to see that that not that those things were good, they were never good, but actually there were points that God was preparing you through them to actually make something that is substantive now. That's an interesting question. I, I I wouldn't wish addiction or homelessness on anyone. No, it's it's horrific, man. But I I I am so lucky to have come through what I've come through and survived. You know, and uh, I've I've lost many friends. I've lost many friends, and it's um uh, addiction. Or you know, or alcoholism, we we suffer with it for the rest of our lives. But we we can find reprieve on a daily basis with recovery, and you know that starts with handing everything to God. It really does. Stuff I really took for granted, um, getting on my knees every morning and just asking God to carry me through. Uh, I I didn't I didn't realize that I I was. I needed to pray because my life depended on it, you know, until somebody else said, listen, this is what's working for me, man, and I'm sober. And it's, uh, you know, we don't just pray because we're Christians. We pray because we need God. Mm-hmm. We do need him. And um, I, I I do it because my life depends on it now, you know, and it's uh, it's actually, I actually really enjoy it. <laughs> I really enjoy it. And uh, one one day, I, I suppose I could sum up your question in, in, in one experience and that was when I was with my daughter one day I was I was on the phone and she came in when I got off the call and she said do you want a hug dad and I went I'd love a hug and we had a cuddle and I was like why did you come in and give me a cuddle and she said um I heard you talking to your friend and uh, I thought you could do with one and I went yeah I had a I had a session with my therapist today and we were talking about being homeless and stuff and um I found it. I found I was quite emotional, and, and I said, "But I wouldn't change any of it because it means I would always end up right here, right now, getting to right. give you a cuddle." You know, and uh, one of the great things about having gone through something is you're able to recognise similar challenges that somebody else might face. And I know now that I wasn't able to get out of some of these situations on my own, but I was able to do it with somebody that had gone through similar experiences and that has been very powerful in my life in terms of having community and fellowship when you wrote let there be light i mean for me listening to it there's an obvious message in it that it is the importance the need not just for the light to shine the once but for there to be an ongoing experience an ongoing outpouring if you like 
of the light of God into not only the world but people's lives and so on. And as I say, I find it a very powerful song. And particularly when I heard about some of the struggles, you, you mentioned lockdown and you mentioned coming out of lockdown, some of the struggles that you'd had with that. So how does that tie in for you with the ongoing journey? Because we know what God has brought you from, we know what he's brought you into, we know what he has opened up to you. But the ongoing journey, it sounds as though it's still hard work. Yeah, it's hard work, but it's worth it. And it's absolutely necessary for me to continue to serve, but also be kind to myself and caring towards myself, which is something I, I've not been able to do for a large part of my life, actually. You know, I think uh, I love the gift of service. I love to be able to to give to others. It's a, it's a stark contrast to the kind of person I was when I was homeless and being an addict and just very self-destructive. And it's difficult to learn new things and, and when, when you've been so ingrained with old behaviours, you know, but I, I have had a lot of help with that. Uh, for, for me, the song Let There Be Light is about struggling with loneliness as a Christian, you know. It's, uh, it is for, there's, a, there's a lot of feelings and emotions that don't make sense to me if I'm a Christian, you know, but it's, it's like, why, why, why are there days when I feel like God is so distant? Mm. And it for and this is purely personal experience, but um, I, I found that when I'm so wrapped up in self, or if I'm hurting, or uh, I find it very difficult to connect spiritually. Very, very difficult. It's only when looking back through a process that I've been through that I start to understand it and see that God was with me the whole way. I just wasn't able to acknowledge it because I was so wrapped up in me. And I needed help to get through that, you know. Um, and it, the song is about crying out to God because I, I just feel overwhelmed with loneliness, even though I know I'm anchored to heaven's door. And, you know, what comes after the darkest night is new mercies every morning. Mm -hmm. And, and that's, that, that's where I placed my hope. And he's, he's brought me through everything. I just needed help getting through some of the stuff that I was unable to to find my way out of and uh, I'm very very grateful for that and as you know moving forward that's where I have my hope you know I, I have my hope when I get on my knees in the morning and, and I know that Christ is walking with me every step of the way and some of these challenges that I face I'm not seeing them as as um, oh woe is me anymore it's like okay this is a grow day it's not yes. a bad day it's a grow day you know so what yeah. can I learn from this I don't have the answers. Let's pray about it. Let's let's speak to somebody else who might have had a similar experience. And it's okay to ask for help. You know, I mean, it takes a lot of courage to surrender and ask for help more than just being full of pride and fighting to the death, man. And that was a tough one for me because I'm at my core a very self-sufficient man. And that's, that's not a good place to be if you're recovering or if you're um, living with uh, mental health things, you know what I mean? So I'm, uh, I'm very, very grateful. Yeah, I think somewhere else I, I saw you wrote that the uphill struggle is real, but when it is a grow day, the view from the top is worth it. Yeah, it's mind-blowing. You get these moments, these wee moments 
but you're just so grateful to God. I still can't believe I'm alive, you know. I just, uh, it's just miraculous that um, I should I shouldn't have been here so many times, man. Mm. And if like last year coming out of lockdown, uh, my mental health fell off a cliff, and if it hadn't been for my brothers in Christ. You know, I don't think I would be here. Mm. Uh, and I, but I got the help and I did the work and and um, took some time out and been convalescing, but slowly moving back forward into things. Uh, the landscape's a bit different, but I'm very, very grateful. It it strikes me as we chat today that my interpretation of that song obviously comes from my own personal experience and my understanding of life. Your interpretation of it comes from your experience and and in fairness you're the guy who wrote it so you should know what it's about but i wonder how much the writing of your music and the creating of these songs that reveal jesus that encourage people to worship jesus that call on jesus how much of that is catharsis for you personally as well as ministry for for reaching out i mean is is this is the music really one of the tools that God is using to help Steph McLeod recover and grow, as well as the rest of us be inspired? Absolutely, it's uh, I did so. I started writing songs in the homeless hostel in two thousand six. I'd never sang before, and I didn't realise at the time I, I was um, singing songs about being homeless and addiction as a way to process what I was going through. Um, uh, it's quite an emotional journey. I feel very emotionally free when I sing, and I, I, when I sing in worship, it's the it's the most freeing place I've ever experienced. Writing songs, it's almost like you're just for for myself. I I, I lean into that process of what's going on, and it, 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 it's very cathartic. You know, what I mean, I, I love I love. Uh, reading into Bible verses and, and old hymns and, and things like that. And for me, it's like a time with God, but also helps me to explore what I'm going through. And absolutely, uh, songwriting is a wonderful way for myself, who's probably not the most emotionally mature man, to explore what's going on within me. Mm. So it's, it's certainly very, very cathartic and very healing. And it can be very difficult and challenging sometimes and um but it is a, it is a journey which I'm very grateful for. What for the future? When you stand and look down the road now, with all that you've come from, all that you've experienced, the lessons you've learnt about the input of other people as well as the value of what you give out, what, what does the future say to you? What does the ongoing journey say to you? That's a great question. I think it's, uh, I'm always brought back to a, a line that Pat Barrett wrote, which is, um, life is a gift and the giver is good, you know? And life is a gift even when it doesn't feel like it. And I can only do the best that I can with what I've got today. And if I can hand that over to God, then I think I'll get through this day okay. I'm looking forward to 
a new season of writing some hymns with my friends and exploring some of the tough stuff, you know, uh, about what's been happening within me coming through the last couple of years. And, you know, some of these songs I don't think might even make it to a recording studio. They mm. might do, but I just I just want to write some very honest songs from me to God uh, and not have any expectations about that. But moving forward, I, like, I was joking with my friend the other day. Uh, I said, like, essentially I'm halfway through my life and it's been a bit of a whopper, you know. <laughs> I says, how am I going to top the next half? And we were coming up with mad theories about um, how we could make the next 40 even more dramatic. And uh, But you know what? It's an absolute blessing just to walk with Jesus and be with friends and share experiences or have a cup of coffee or just smile at somebody or be of service and take some time to rest. And mm -hmm. I, th I don't know if this is just a, a getting older thing, but you start start to notice the world a little bit more and be a bit more appreciative to the things that give you give you life. Even the even the struggles as well. I become more grateful for my challenges. So moving forward, I'm just looking to um, take my time and just do my best and not. I know my limits as well. I know my limits because that's something I didn't fully know. So it's a, I'm not really sure what's going to happen, but I, I am excited. I just know that it's um, it's okay to be me and whatever yeah. I do is going to be okay. And maybe that's the point for all of us, that it is an absolute blessing just to walk with Jesus and to recognise our limits, but to also see the reality of the difference that his light shining into us can make and that his light shining through others into us can make and also that his light shining through us for others can make a difference too steph privilege and lovely to speak to you today thank you for joining us thank you it's been an absolute honor Thank you so much. I'm Paul Hammond. You've been listening to UCB Life Issues. Thank you also to my producer, Rachel, for helping get the show on the road. And why not join me next week for another Life Issues? Ta-da.